Welcome to the Best Ever You Network, celebrating our third year on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Thank you for helping us become a number one rated live show with over one million global listeners. Our team is on a mission to help you discover your authentic best self and bring it to the world. And now, here's our show. Hello, 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 everybody. Guess what? Guess what, Walter? It's snowing again here. Uh, <laughs> I knew you didn't know happening? what I was going to say. Yes, um, I know what you were going to say. Jack, Jack, go ahead. No, it's like it's like 70 inches of snow. In oh, that's days. what you're going to say. Oh, okay. No, yeah, no. Oh. I, I, yeah, I'm going with that first. We, you know, we know we've got Jack Canfield coming on the line. Yes, I know everybody's really, really excited, but we're we've got more snow. I mean, I looked out the door this morning, and we have more snow. Every show. Oh, that's crazy. That's nuts. Well, we have yeah. more sun. Okay. Well, Not good. I'm glad you have more sun because I need sun. Anyway, all right. So, how are you? Welcome everybody to the Best Ever You Show. I'm I'm the snow monster here. I guess I'm Elizabeth <laughs> Hamilton Garino, and uh, we've got our our lovely co-host. Um, out in California, Dr. Walter Jacobson, how are you? You're much sunnier? Yeah, everything's sunny and bright here, and uh, we're pretty excited about today's show. Uh, he's real, always been a hero of mine and a you know, a mentor of sorts. So, yeah, he's great, and I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so why I'm a little distracted is because every phone I have around me, which are five of them, are all ringing off the hook. Um, I need to make sure everybody knows not to call me at home to talk to Jack. <laughs> if you guys want to listen to the show, um, this happens sometimes when we have really big guests, call 714 uh, Mom, Dad, don't call me at home and all those things. <laughs> they do sometimes. 714 So um, I'm going to bring him on the line. I think this is him. Jack, is that you? Hello? Jack? I'm not sure. Hello, hello? Uh, area code 619? Is that you? Okay. We may not have him on the line. I thought that was him. Um, Dr. Walter, I'm Walter, not sure. I'm... Maybe the phones are blowing up because he might not be with us. I'm not sure. Let me try one more time. Jack? Nope, we've got silence. Dr. Walter? <laughs> Why don't we set up like the, uh, you know, do the setup for him uh, so that when he comes on, people will know that we're talking about his new book, which actually is not a new book. It's kind of a 10-year anniversary of Success Principles, an incredible book. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about that first. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, he's the, <clears throat> the, my phones are going crazy in my ears, sorry. He's the beloved originator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Uh, he has... I like this. I'm just going to read this. He's fostered the emergence of inspirational anthology, anthologies as a genre and watched it grow to a billion-dollar market. Can you imagine that? As a, he's the driving force behind the development and the delivery of more than 123 million books sold through the Chicken Soup for the Soul franchise and over 500 million copies in print worldwide. He's. Uh, <laughs> I think this goes without saying that he's uniquely qualified to talk about success. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I like reading that. He's uniquely qualified to talk about success. He is affectionately known as America's number one success coach. He has studied and reported on what makes people successful um, and what makes successful people different. He knows what motivates them, what drives them, what inspires them. And he brings insight 
critical insight to countless audiences internationally, sharing his success strategies in the media with companies, universities, and professional associations. He's a Harvard grad. Does that surprise you? (laughs) Not me. He's got a master's degree in psychological education and is one of the earliest champions of peak performance, developing specific methodologies and results-oriented, if I could read, results-oriented activities to help people take on greater challenges and produce breakthrough results. Wow. I'm going to let you take it from there. Well, I look at the phones for a minute. Okay, yeah, so his uh, his book is The Success Principles, and uh, the thing that's amazing about it is that he is – totally 100% confident when he tells people, basically, you could be young or old, you could come from any walk of life, it doesn't matter what success or non-success you've had in your life, if you, like, know what you want and you uh, make a plan and you practice his success principles disciplined every single day, you work them, you will achieve your goals. It's it's like, and it's not unbelievable because he's made that kind of boast to people and it's and, and it's been proven true. It's a, yeah. So uh, these success principles are very powerful, uh, but the key thing is to do them. You know, you have to follow through. You've got to, uh, you know, do them. I really encourage everybody to check out the book because uh, it's like 400 pages of nonstop brilliance and wisdom. And uh, yeah. so uh, it's it's great stuff. And we hopefully he will be on board. But if not, we're going to talk about some of the different principles anyway because. Uh, you know, people need to know about this. If anything you want to accomplish, any kind of happiness, joy, success, relationships, career, money, it's all doable. If you know what you want, you know what your purpose is, you decide to go forward, you have a plan, uh, a plan and, you, and you follow through. So uh, I'll stop right now. Turn it no, over to you, Elizabeth. I'm gonna just, yeah, no, I totally agree. Hang on, I'm just going to check this line one more time. Um, area code 619, is that by any chance Jack Canfield? Doubting it, <laughs> but maybe nope. Okay, I don't know who's who's calling, but they're listening. They must be. Um, if you're just joining us, we're in a little bit of a flurry here because um, our guest isn't here just yet. So you are listening to uh, me. I'm Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, and that other voice. Hello, hello, Dr. Walter Jacobson. Um, hey there. We hello there. We're gonna. I think we'll just wing the show a little bit, um, like you're saying, and just talk about um, his book and. I'm going to talk about his Facebook a little bit because he's almost at a million likes. And um, I like when I, t- I just kind of check people's social media out a little bit. And it, it looks like some of the time it's him and some of the time maybe there's a team behind posting. I'm not positive, but I like this. One of the principles, um, the, one of the last posts on January 31st was one of the principles I teach is ask, ask, ask. Yeah. What do you think about that? Ask, ask, ask. Well, yeah, basically what that means is, if you, you know, if you don't ask, you have no shot of anything happening. So uh, you can't be afraid to ask. You can't be afraid to reach out to people uh, who are doing what you want to do, who have wisdom and knowledge, might be able to help if, if they may, may be inspired to. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, you're definitely going to get a, a rejection if you don't ask. So you've got to ignore the possibility of rejection. You've got to ignore your fear. And you've got to go out, out there and ask people for help and ask people for guidance and ask for mentors and ask for cooperation and uh, if you're you know and if your heart is good and true and you you know you don't just want to succeed for yourself you want others to succeed as well people will cooperate people will help so that's the ask thing is don't be afraid to reach out and ask all they can say is no and then you go on to the next one and until you succeed 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting because um, one of my friends from um, grade school just put this in motion. Her uh, brother is a brain injury survivor at this point, and um, she's kind of hidden it from everybody. I knew about it, and a couple other close friends knew about it. But um, she finally kind of put the whole story out there um, on to GoFundMe and is trying to raise $25,000. And she put it out there two days ago, and she's already, I didn't check today, but yesterday she was at $5,300 raised. And that is such a perfect example of ask, ask, ask. Because if she never would have put that out there and made herself a little vulnerable, and some people might not donate and some people, you know, might not share it or like it or whatever, but those that did really have um, shown up. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's fantastic. And uh, Jack actually has a section that he's updated the book about uh, uh, social media and crowdfunding, and uh, and using that that crowdfunding angle of of reaching out and asking for contributions to to reach a goal. But uh, but getting back to the idea of asking, a lot of people don't ask because they're afraid of rejection. You know, and none of us like rejection. But uh, the bottom line is, rejection is a part of success. You know, rejection is moving towards success. Every every obstacle is a stepping stone towards success. Uh, you know, when you're trying to sell a car, ten people will walk into the car room, nine people may walk away, the tenth one will say yes. So no reason to be dejected about nine rejections when you know every tenth one is going to be a sale. And so you, you have to kind of put rejection into the formula for success rather than be paralyzed by it. Yeah, I would agree. And I'm going to let you keep talking again for a minute because I've got to look up something on the Internet here to see if I can call them. Um, oh, okay. Just, Sounds good. Yeah, keep um, going. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to jump to. Uh, is he there? No. Oh, I'm, I'm going to jump to actually uh, the the back end of of what he talks about, which I think is incredibly powerful, and I want this point to be made to people listening. And he talks about uh, the most important 45 minutes of the day. He talks about the end of the day, just before going to sleep. You know, take the time to sort of be, you're in a meditative place, you're in a relaxed place. Acknowledge your successes for the day. Review your goals for the future. Focus on your successful future, right? Kind of visualize, affirm, imagine, you know, make specific plans for what you want to do the next day. And you take that 45 minutes, and it's going to be much more powerful at the end of the day rather than any other time because what you're going to be doing is influencing your sleep, influencing your your unconscious mind to process everything that happened that day, to process all your hopes and dreams and plans, and you're going to wake up uh, with, like, a, you know, enthusiasm, maybe even some brainstorming ideas that sort of pop into your consciousness. So that's what he talks about. Keep your eye on the prize and take that 45 minutes at the end of the day to really focus, look over what you did, that you, what you could have done better, what you're going to do the next day. You know, he also talks about, you know, there's a, there's a law of five or a rule of five. It's like every day you try to do five things that is going to push you towards your success. So uh, he was talking about when he was trying to push uh, and promote chicken soup for the soul, uh, he, his, the, the, the rule of five for him was do five radio interviews a day or send out five review copies to editors who might review his book or, or call five, uh, five bloggers who might uh, do some blogging about it. So uh, this rule of five of every day, that's the key. Every day you're doing something that's going to push you towards your goal. Every day you do five things. Every day you are working on your goal. Everyone you speak to or, or relate to or 
communicate with. It's always your goal. You stay on your purpose. Yeah, and I find that exhausting sometimes. I got to be honest. As you're as you're saying that, like every day, every day, every day. Um, I, I am a human being. Yeah, I am a human being that has to recharge. Um, I have, I, and I know everybody does. Um, we all have so much going on. And I think if we all go, 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 and charge towards our goals, and, and I'm not knocking you either, I'm just saying, because um, I, I know you agree with this, we've had so many discussions about this. So, you know, when you are working and when you are doing things, I think that is a cool idea to do like five things on that day that take you in a different direction. You know, like answer that email or find somebody new on Twitter or, um, you know, do do something completely different drive a different way or, you know, just something completely and totally different. But I know for me, I have to take breaks from doing that or I get so overwhelmed by those five things every day. So I've kind of toned it down a little bit to maybe just doing like one thing every every few days. You know, I think you just have to sort of adjust that level to what you can personally handle. Well, I, I agree with you, and, you know, balance is really important. Uh, and ultimately, I think balance in your life uh, is going to be important to, to your success because if you, you know, if you uh, need to do five things per, a day to the exclusion of other things that, that give your life meaning and balance, like family or exercise or your, your health and things like that, uh, then uh, somewhere it's, you know, I think it's going to fall down. So I don't think uh, Jack means the, the exclusion of, of balance, uh, but, you know, but, but you, it just means what, what it really means is just be determined and focused and make the time that you devote to your work or your goals, make that time effective. Make it as effective as you possibly can. You know, so I think that, that's, that's really the message there. All right, I have another caller, and I'm going to see if this might be him. I have no way of knowing or not. So I'm going to uh, call her in the 805 area code. Is this by any chance Jack? It is, and I apologize. There we go. My PR agent didn't include the phone number in the in the media sheet, so we finally got it. So here I am. Hey, welcome. I'm so sorry. Hello, hello. We're talking about you. I heard you talking <laughs> about the rule way. of five. Yes. Yeah. We're now. Now is does it is it with balance? Let's let, let's pose that question to you. We're talking about my incredible need for balance because <laughs> I have four boys and a husband of seventeen years and and a life outside of just achieving, 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 achieving. Um. What do you think, balance? Well, I think if balance is your main goal, then you want to do five things a day to create balance in your life. If your main goal is to be a best-selling author, then I think you want to send out five free books a day or do you know contact five radio producers to uh, get you on their podcasts or their radio, blog talk radio, like with you guys. So basically it depends on what your number one goal is. It's fine to have goals that are relational, uh, physical, spiritual, emotional, etc., but I always say that you want to have one goal every year that's your breakthrough goal, the goal that would quantum leap you, like having a best-selling book or losing 50 pounds or reconnecting with your brother, whatever that might be, and then whatever that breakthrough goal is. And it doesn't have to be five huge things that take five hours. You know, you can just make five cold calls if you're a salesperson. A lot of people don't even do that. So uh, I think a lot of times people overwhelm themselves with thinking these five action steps have to be huge. There was a period where losing weight was my main goal. And so I read something for five minutes every day on weight loss just to keep my head straight. I took a walk after dinner every day. I did 20 minutes of aerobic exercise. I didn't eat after 8 p.m., and I drank 12 glasses of water, all of which are designed to help you lose weight. It doesn't 
put my life out of balance. So the thing is not to overwhelm yourself, as you say, but to always have some little thing you're doing that's keeping the momentum going in the direction of what you want to accomplish. Yeah, hey, hi, this is uh, Walter Jacobson, uh, one of the co-hosts here, and sure. uh, maybe maybe we could back it up to kind of the beginning <laughs> of the whole of your book and the whole success principle idea that, like you talk about, you have to start with knowing what your purpose is or why you're here and what you want. Maybe you could kind of intro that. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, the first principle of the book is actually take 100% responsibility for your life, get out of blaming, complaining, and victim consciousness. Once you do that, then you can say, okay, why am I here? What is my purpose? And I believe everybody is born with a purpose. And the way to find that purpose is to look and see what brings me the greatest joy. Like for me, teaching, coaching, developing new products, uh, that brings me the greatest joy. So that's what I spend my life doing. For someone else, it might be playing music. For someone else, it might be designing architectural plans for someone else that might be being a chef. But whatever it is, find that thing that gives you the greatest joy. I believe that your body has a built-in GPS system that tells you whether you're on course or off course in moving toward the fulfillment of your purpose. And that is your experience of joy. So if you're not having fun, if you're not enjoying what you do, so many people are working just to make money, and you can do that. But the point is we can literally, as Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb, said, when your vocation becomes a vacation, then you know you've made it. So you're so loving what you do. I mean, my wife has to come and remind me to come in for dinner, remind me it's time to go to bed, because I'm just having so much fun doing what I'm doing. And so I think that's possible. I was on a show earlier today, and someone said, uh, you can't make a living doing what you love to do. Let's say you're a surfer. And I said, well, I happen to know someone who loves to surf, and she charges executives from you know, the C-suite level of corporations, only women, about $2,000 a piece for a week to come to Hawaii, and she teaches them to surf. And in the process of surfing, they learn what they're doing in their life that doesn't work because how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you get up on the board too fast, it means you're not doing enough planning. If the wave comes and you miss it, it means you're not paying attention to trends and you're, you're not getting ready for what's changing. If you get too far front of the board, you're going to tip the board over. If you hang back out of fear, you're never going to get up. So she surfs all day long in a bikini making, you know, probably has five, six people at a time. So we're talking about $10,000 a week, half a million a year surfing in Hawaii. So basically, I believe anybody can find the thing they love to do and then find a way to monetize it and have a life that's magical. Does that mean I could bring people out here and jump in the snow with me and make snow angels and charge them all? <laughs> we got 70 inches of snow here in Maine. I can't well, believe you... how much snow we have. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I used to live in Massachusetts. <laughs> believe me, I know. You know, literally, there are people. There's a guy named Matt Weinstein who started a company called Playfair. And he just charges corporations to bring him in and teach people how to play. So you probably could find a way called Snowplay or something and get people to reconnect with their inner child, make snowballs and have snow forts and make snow angels and go bobsledding. Why not? Yeah, half of my social media is right now is posting video of, of it snowing because that's what people are asking me to do. Can you go outside and take some video of it snowing? I'm like, all right, we're in Florida and don't have snow and all this stuff. I'm like, I think I need to start a flight. They can come and shovel snow angels and snowmen. There you go. You can start a snow removal. (laughs) A vacation to come and (laughs) shovel snow. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I took my son yesterday. Um, my son's a baseball player, and he was meeting with the coaches at, at Bates yesterday and here in, in Lewiston, Maine. And 
we were looking at the boards outside one of these classrooms, and there are two guys basically paying for most of their college this semester by charging p- people around around campus five or ten dollars to shovel out their cars. Yeah, future entrepreneur college students. I love it. You know, my mentor W. Clemens Stone. He, I, I worked for a guy who was worth six hundred million dollars back in nineteen sixty-nine. I think it was, and he one of his main secrets of success. He said, "Find a need and fill it." So there's always a need. You know, one of my friends made a fortune when the uh, downside, when we had the beginning of the recession, this last recession, and people were selling all their stuff on eBay to try to make money. And so she opened up a little storefront in town uh, called, if you sell something on eBay, bring it to me and I'll ship it out to people. And she made a fortune. Another person uh, was a cleaning lady, lost her job because people couldn't afford her. But what she found out was the banks were having to repossess all these homes. People were so mad about losing their homes, they trashed the home before they left. The bank couldn't resell it because it looked so terrible. So she went in, started the cleaning service, and just basically worked with banks and cleaning up and repairing all the houses that people destroyed when they lost their mortgages. So there's always a need if you're willing to go out there and, and, and work to fill it. You know, it also seems like uh, you can't like just sort of say no to your own like dreams or ideas, right? Like if you if uh, if you go, no, that won't work, or no one's going to pay me to do that, then you're defeated. But you're saying like really anything's possible if you know if you have a passion for it and desire and 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 you follow the principles, right? Yeah, I mean exactly. Let's say you love to cook and and you don't have a restaurant. We had a woman come to us about five years ago and say, I know you're busy people. I will cook your meals. I'll deliver them every three days. They come in the cooler. You put them in your refrigerator. You warm them up. And, you know, she's an organic uh, chef, and uh, she cooks. You know, we we don't eat strictly vegetarian. We eat meat a few days a week. So she figured out a diet for us, and she'll cook the, you know, uh, uh, you know low-glycemic diet or, you know, you don't eat bread, whatever. And she now has about 50 customers around town. She cooks what she loves, delivers the food on Monday nights and Thursday nights, and she's making a fortune. Right, right. I want to ask um, you Hey, about... you know, what about, the, what about the law of attraction as one of your, of your principles? Could you, I mean, people talk about it, the secret, and the law of attraction, and some people think it's kind of new age, wacky stuff. I mean, what's the real deal with that? Well, it's been around forever. I mean, you can go back as far as, you know, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, and you'll find they were teaching these principles. And for a while, they were in secret societies, and all these people were getting very, very wealthy. Uh, As a result, they didn't want to share the secret, but around the 1920s, it started to get out. And basically, it's really simple. I mean, it's not new age. It's just basically basic neuroscience will tell you this works, that if you visualize do affirmations, if you think positively, if you get rid of your negative criticism of yourself and others, so you quiet that inner voice you just talked about that says, no one will buy this, I can't afford it, get rid of all of that, and visualize what you want on a regular basis, get into a level of uh, joy and abundance and, and forgiveness and love, what happens is you're sending out a positive vibration. We now can measure this. Uh, they're, they're, you know, in Russia, they can measure your auric field, which expands when you're positive, expands for Christians when they repeat the uh, Lord's Prayer. This is all measurable scientific stuff. We know, for example, from a study at Duke University, they had astronauts that were up in the lunar uh, orbital, you know, manned orbiting uh, station around the moon, and they would have them open up envelopes every couple hours, and they'd just shuffle an envelope and put down what number it was, and then they would open it up, and there'd be a shape in there, 
a square, a circle, a triangle, a pentagon, whatever, and then they would visualize, just focus on that shape for a few minutes while students at Duke University, uh, I think it's in North Carolina, they would close their eyes and see what they would receive. And almost all the students got the exact shape the astronaut was sending. So we know that we can send a signal with our brain over 250,000 miles from Earth. Now, people in Japan, to get to New York, is only 25, you know, maybe 12,500 miles, something like that. So I say every thought you think is like sending out a spam email. And anyone who is aligned with what you're wanting to do will actually respond to that. So you're going to draw people into your life. And it'll feel like coincidences. You know, my favorite story is Mark Victor Hansen and I decided one day we wanted to sell a million books in one day. No one had ever done that. J.K. Rowling's done it since with, uh, I think it was the fifth edition of the Harry Potter series. So we didn't know how to do that. No one had ever done it before. There was no, no blueprint, no one to talk to. And so we just started visualizing selling a million books in one day. About 30 days later, we're at the booksellers convention in Chicago where all the bookstore owners and all the publishers come together. And at the end of the day, getting in the bus to go back to the hotel to, uh, you know, like you do when you're at a convention, sit down next to this woman, and she says, you're Jack Canfield. I said, oh, she knows who I am. That's cool. And she said, you're wearing a name tag. I went, oh, okay. And she said, <laughs> she said you're the chicken soup guy, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, here's the deal. What are you guys up to these days? And I said, well, Mark and I just decided about a month ago we want to sell a million books in one day. And as fast as I said that, she said, I can help you do that. And I said, really, how's that? She said, I am the buyer for the W.H. Smith bookstores, which are in almost all the airports in the world. And we could have book signings in all the airports on the same day with all your co-authors. And we could have you guys on the East Coast starting out in, you know, in Maine and in Boston and in New York and Atlanta and Baltimore and so forth. And we'll fly all you guys over to Chicago and St. Louis and do that in the middle of the day. And then we'll go to the West Coast for the evening. And you, I bet you could sell a million books in one day. And I said, God, why would you help us do that? She said, if I sold a million books in one day through our bookstores, that would make me look like a hero to my boss. Let's do it. So, you know, some people say, oh, that was just lucky. That was a coincidence. No, that happens in my life and the people who practice these principles every single day. Nice. Now, what, here's, the, here's the point I want to make, though. A lot of people watch The Secret, and they misinterpret it. They think if they just sit in their room and visualize a million books being sold, that all of a sudden a million books will sell. No, you're going you're to attract opportunities. You're going to attract resources. You're going to attract ideas. Then you have to act on them. I think the thing The Secret did not stress enough was the idea that action is required. And I always say the last six letters in the word attraction are A-C-T-I-O-N, if you look at it. So there's a clue there. So we have to do the work as well as the visualization, the meditation, the positive beliefs. I'm going back a little bit here. How did you think of the title, Chicken Soup for the Soul? How did that all come about? Well, it's very interesting. Good question, because one of the chapters in the Success Principles is called Inquire Within. And I teach that everybody should learn some form of meditation and visualization and accessing your intuition. So what happened was that uh, we were going to go to New York with a book of stories, we did not have a title. So Mark Victor Hansen, my co-author, and I, we both meditate. So we said, well, let's meditate every day for a week, you know, for an hour in the morning. You know, him in his home, mine and mine, we were living in two different cities. And we'll see what comes up. So I just said, you know, God, please give me a title, and I would wait. Well, on Wednesday of that week, I saw this chalkboard, like when you're in school, and his hand came out and wrote chicken soup on it. And I said to the hand, what the heck does chicken soup have to do with this book? And the voice that came with it said, 
when you were sick, your grandmother gave you chicken soup. And I said, but this is not a book about sick people. And the voice said, people's spirits are sick. This was 1993. There was the Gulf War. We were in the middle of a recession. And uh, people were being downsized, laid off. People were losing their homes. People were in resignation and despair. And so I heard chicken soup for the spirit. That didn't kind of work. And then I, I just said to myself, chicken soup for the soul. I got goosebumps. Told my wife, she got goosebumps. Called Mark, he got goosebumps. Called my agent, he got goosebumps. We went to New York, met with 22 publishers. Nobody got goosebumps. <laughs> so, oh, really? No, we were rejected by the first 144 publishers we presented the book to. It took us a year to find a publisher. But that, that name, Chicken Soup for the Soul, which became a brand, which we did not set out to do, uh, is now worth over $100 million. So if, I, if we were to sell that brand for to somebody, they would have to pay $100 million to buy it. That's the power of, of, of meditation and inquiring within rather than looking outside. Did wow. you ever feel in that stack of rejection letters, um, did you ever feel like, oh, this isn't going to happen? Or You know how you know how people, I've, I've got a stack of rejection letters that's fascinating before I published my book with Hay House. Right. And, I mean, it's it's way bigger than that. <laughs> but so, but did you ever feel like, oh, this isn't going to work or I need to do something else? Or have you ever had moments like that in your life that you could share I'm with I'm sure us? when I was younger in my 20s and maybe my early 30s, but no, not not since then. I, okay. Mark and I were convinced if we had to, we would self-publish it. That was an option that always exists for authors. We didn't really want to be a publishing company. We wanted to be speakers and trainers and, and writers. But we, we always knew we had that option. I, in my heart of hearts, felt that this was kind of a inspired task. It was kind of downloaded from the universe, if you will, and that we were meant to do it. We would get the support when it came. And thank God what happened was the publisher who finally said yes, because we went to the American Booksellers Association, a uh, different year than the one where I sat on the bus with that woman, and we went from booth to booth to booth to booth for three days. It was late on the third day when this company called Health Communications said, we'll take a look at it. Everyone else wouldn't even look at the manuscript. They just thought the idea was stupid. And we weren't famous, so you know we didn't have that platform as they always talk about, like you have with your podcast, radio show, and so forth. So basically what happens is that um, Health Communications took it, and they said, we'll give you 20 cents of every dollar we earn. And they, they had a very few public, very few authors, so they could put a lot of energy into our book. So when that book came out in the first year and a half, we sold a million and a half copies. And... Um, you know, it changed everybody's lives. And then we did a sequel, and now we have 500 million books in print in uh, over 220 titles in 47 languages. So I think, you know, it's kind of like uh, Garth Brooks has a song uh, where he says, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers, because sometimes, you know, when what comes later is better than what you would have got if you'd gotten it answered sooner. So it turned out to be a blessing, actually. Um, Jack, you know, uh, in your book, The Success Principles, you, you, you talk about the past a lot, about how uh, you, you know, the past can be paralyzing and how you need to kind of repair the past to embrace the future. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, one of the things that happens for all of us, we have negative experiences, whether it's all those rejection letters uh, that Beth got or whether it's a you know, traumatic experience in childhood of being rejected or not making the cheerleading squad or perhaps being sexually abused or, you know, beaten up by your husband, whatever it might be, there's a lot of negative experiences that happen. And often those become very ingrained in our psyche. Uh, we know that whenever there's a negative experience, the brain will secrete more proteins into the brain, which then makes your nerve cells uh, thicker, which allow the 
pattern of that thought to keep coming back over and over and over. It's why people become obsessive and they become depressed and and so forth. I mean, we all can remember exactly where we were when 9-11 happened because uh, that that was Velcroed in the brain by these brain cells uh, getting thicker because of the proteins. So it's hard to overcome these negative past experiences, but there are techniques for doing it, whether it's uh, forgiveness, whether it's something I write about in the book called The Total Truth Process that I learned from John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, uh, Children Are from, from Women Are From Venus. I always make a joke, Children Are From Hell. He didn't really <laughs> But um, <laughs> I just met him. He's so yeah, cool. Yeah, he's a great guy. You know, Very funny. He was just, he was just sitting there at the Massachusetts Conference for Women. Um, we were in the press room because I was there to interview people for the day, and I, was, oh, I think that's, I think that's him. <laughs> he's just sitting there, you know, mellow as can be. And I, I said, "Do you mind if I interview you?" And he's like, "Sure, let's go." And I almost freaked out right then and there. <laughs> so oh, nice. He's, a great, he's one of my oh. best friends. He, his wife Bonnie and I, I actually. Love him. We have five couples that come together every New Year's for three days in my home, and we celebrate New Year's together as kind of a little communal event, and he's one of the couples. So I love him. I was just in Hawaii with him for a week, about two weeks ago. But to go back to the question about uh, yes, healing the past, no, no, it's fine. That's that's called a conversation. I love it. But what happens is that you can go now. There's these wonderful techniques like EFT tapping where you can literally tap on these nine acupuncture points while you think of a negative event in your life or a fear you have or a limiting belief. And you can actually disappear, literally dissolve that pattern in your brain uh, within five to 20 minutes. So there's no reason to be in therapy for 10 years anymore, no reason to be afraid that you can't get over these past events. So I have a whole chapter of techniques of how to do that in the book. Cool. Um, 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 I know what I was going to ask you. I we had Pete Winarski on the call, um, on on the show a few. Geez, I don't know how long ago was that? Maybe a month ago or so, maybe two months ago. And I can't get these words out of my head. He said he's one of your biggest fans. He knows you. You wrote. You know. You helped him with his book and so forth. And he said you're you're either all in or you're not. Yeah, all in you know, or you're not. I can't get that out of my head. Well, that's good. Those are the kind of things you want yeah. in your head. Um, you know, I, I have a chapter in the Success Principles called uh, uh, "99% a bitch, 100% a breeze." And you know, if you wouldn't want your husband to be 99% committed to monogamy, you want him 100% committed to monogamy. And so, basically, in life. We're being tested uh, for our commitment. I think that's why obstacles often get put in front of us. How committed are you? Take any famous person. I don't care who they are. could be, you know, uh, Michael Dell, who started Dell Computers, or Steve Jobs at Apple, or uh, Olympic athletes, generals in the Army. They've all had to overcome obstacles. I mean, you know, my book being rejected by 144 publishers. Uh, you know, the, the the first book, MASH, was rejected by 22 publishers before it became a book and then a movie, then a TV show. And so Dr. Seuss, you know, his first book was turned down by almost 50 publishers. So the reality is whatever your dream, you're going to get rejection. And you have to be willing to persevere through that and prove to the universe that you are willing to, uh, you're committed whether it's failures or uh, rejections or illness that shows up, how committed are you? So when you're committed 100%, I remember uh, Wayne Dyer, who I'm sure you know of, Wayne always runs a a mile every day, no matter what, sometimes six miles. And before 9-11, if he was on an airplane, he'd run up and down the aisle of the plane. I've actually seen him do that, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
if he was in Maine where the snow's there today, he'd probably run up and down the stairwells in the in the um, in the uh, hotel. But the point is, once you're committed 100 percent, you're never going. You don't have to have that argument every day. Well, am I going to run today? It's raining out. I don't think so. It's just called. This is what I do. Like I brush my teeth every night. Like I call my kids once a week. Whatever. And so once you've committed that, life actually gets easier, not harder. The more commitments we have uh, that are 100 percent, then the more we're just do what we do and all the results flow from that. You know, that makes me think about, you know, all these commitments, and then you have something about uh, redefining time. Is that what you'd need to do if you have a lot of commitments? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, one certainly one can make too many commitments. I mean, you know, if I tell I'm going to write 20 books in one year and get advances for that, some publishers are going to get upset because I don't know anyone that can do that. But basically, redefine time is about creating three kinds of days in your life. Most of us mix our what we call focus activities, the things we do that earn money, that make a difference, like being on this radio show, writing a book, being a, giving a speech, coaching someone, seeing a client in therapy, whatever it might be. That's where the rubber meets the road in terms of income and impact in the world. So we often mix those days up with running errands, and doing all kinds of other things, which I call uh, preparation day activities. Uh, we need to have focus days. We need to have buffer or preparation days. We need to have free days. So most people don't have a lot of free time, and they dilute their focus by having a lot of you know, interference with things that are really not on target that day. So we say you want to have as many free days as possible, midnight to midnight with no work-related activity. This is what we call the entrepreneurial time system. And the idea is that if you work with successful entrepreneurs, you realize that they actually take more time off than most people. And when they do that, that's when they have creative ideas. That's when they meet people outside of their profession that give them insights into new ways of thinking about things. And they come back refreshed. We use the word recreation. It means recreation. So we need to recreate ourselves on a regular basis. Research shows if you go seven days without a day off, your creativity goes down. Your reactivity in terms of getting angry over stupid things goes up. You're not as effective. And so entrepreneurs work very diligently at creating free time. So I take a lot of vacations. My wife and I, we plan out our vacation time in advance. Then you have other things like buffer day activities called delegation, planning, uh, you know, doing logistics, paying your bills, running errands, all that kind of stuff. And you want to lump those into one day if possible. And then the rest of the time you want on your focus. And you want about 85% of your day to be doing the things that produce bottom line results. And um, when people start to do that, their productivity usually doubles in a year. Wow. We have a question from a mom in the audience. Um, it's, sure. It's Corey. Corey's mom. Corey is the founder of Passion Cure, and I think you were on his show as well. Um, she says, how do you deal with the fame that has come with being such a recognized person who wears a name tag and does, <laughs> does it at all <laughs> make you uncomfortable at times? You know, people don't make me uncomfortable. In fact, nobody can make you uncomfortable. We we make ourselves uncomfortable by imagining things like expectations or we want to be alone and we don't just say it because we're afraid people won't like us or whatever. So, you know, comfort is a, is a, is a self... You know, go back to the first chapter of my book, E plus R equals O, in this chapter on on 100% responsibility. It's a little formula. Event plus response equals outcome. So I love people. I, I, that's why I do the work I do. I want to inspire and empower people to live their dreams. 
And so when people come up to me in an airport or at dinner or whatever, I'm I'm thrilled that they want to connect with me because either I've impacted their life or they want more impact in their life. And so, um, you know, my wife and I have learned to just allow that to happen. Now, if I need to be alone, I will just say, you know, right now my wife and I are having a private conversation. I love to connect with you. Here's my business card. You can email me. But right now I need to attend to a family matter. And everyone goes, oh, okay. They respect that. So no one else can make you angry. No one else can hurt you. No one else can, you know, I mean, obviously they hit you a baseball bat they can, but in terms of your emotions, (laughs) that's all up to you. Especially my son. You know, I often say to my audiences, let's say that you and Walter are good buddies and Walter forgets your birthday. You might feel hurt. (gasps) The only reason you feel hurt is you're thinking, God, you know, someone who loves me forgot my birthday, and and that must mean they don't love me. And uh, you could just think of another thought called, somebody who loves me forgot my birthday, I wonder if they're okay. And now I'm more concerned than I am upset. So it's a thought we think after the event, not the event itself, that produces our being comfortable or uncomfortable. So basically, if you just surrender, don't think you should do or be anyway, and just allow people to come up and be with you. I don't think you have to experience discomfort. You know what I like about your book too is you, uh, the success principles. You also talk about a lot of uh, a lot of issues like uh, you know tell the truth and be impeccable and be of service to others and forgiveness. And how important is that? Are these sort of these ideals in the success formula? Well, you know, there are certain things in the first 25 principles in the book that I call the basics. They're like blocking and tackling in football. You need to know them, how to do them. But, you know, as you go further into the book, which is where you're referring to, these principles are what make you the kind of person people want to be around. They make people want to do business with you. They trust you more. In other words, tell the truth faster is one of the principles because eventually the truth almost always comes out. And often it comes out too late. Then you get in trouble, either because you've been hiding something, someone feels betrayed, or, you know, one of the the examples I use in the book is, uh, you know, if you're thinking about, if you're wondering when should we tell the children we're going to move to Dallas, you know, from Maine, um, that means it's time to tell them. So if you're if you're you know not happy in your relationship, don't wait three years, have two affairs to talk about it. You know, say, hey, I'm not feeling fulfilled. Uh, this is what's missing for me. This is what would have to happen for it to feel like a 10 instead of a 3 on a scale of 1 to 10. And then you have a shot at making that work. If you're going to be late for a meeting, tell the person as, as soon as you know, rather than have them there like you guys were waiting for me to show up. I'm sure that was a little awkward and uncomfortable. Uh, because the, the sooner you know that, you can plan for it. So, tell, you know, I, I had a person I needed to fire, and I didn't do it. And And one day she came to me and she said, you know, are you unhappy with me? Because if you are, I'm, I'm willing to move on. And I was, this was early on in my career, and I was so uncomfortable firing her. I said, no, no, everything's fine. Uh. Now, two years later, I fired her. She sued me for wrongful termination. Had I told the truth two years earlier, I would have not had to pay $24,000 in legal fees and a small settlement. It would have been much easier. So it's always better to tell the truth as soon as you know it. But there's a lot right there. I hope everybody's – our chat room is full, by the way. Um, if you guys – I, I suspect people are having trouble getting in to listen. Um, the chat room's full. If you guys want to ask a question, um, I know a lot of people just joined us. I know you know that we're talking with Jack Canfield. I want to ask Jack Canfield what he was like in kindergarten. I'm dying to know <laughs> what you were like in kindergarten. How was kindergarten for you? 
I well, kindergarten was fun for me. I actually can remember it. Uh, my favorite part of kindergarten was kickball. <laughs> we played kickball in the playground. I had a wonderful teacher. Also, I grew up in northern West Virginia near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, when it would snow, like you're experiencing, uh, we would take water on the playground and we would uh, wet it uh, until it became like an ice slide. Then we would run and see who could slide the farthest. And So it was a very physical time. I played marbles. I collected baseball cards. Uh, I liked school at that point. We played with instruments. I thought that was really cool, a lot of music. Uh, you know, by the time I got to high school, it wasn't quite so much fun anymore with mathematics, which is not my favorite thing, and memorizing, you know, the either. flowers and all that. But basically, uh, kindergarten was fun. I, I enjoyed my early childhood. Yeah, my uh we're having a hatred for geometry right now in this household. I can't deny it. I can it. relate like, to oh. that. I really can. <laughs> you know, the guy um, on the tour yesterday. What'd you say? Sorry. Uh, yeah, Jack. I, I just, what do you do when you have like a thousand questions to ask somebody in forty minutes? Uh, but I, I just, <laughs> just for our listeners, I don't know. For those who are like inspired to want to, you know, apply your principles and go forth and conquer, um, you have a new section in, in your book, I believe, about uh, using social media. Could you just take a minute or two to, to give people some guidance as to what's the best way to kind of tackle that? Because there's so much social media out there. Well, I think you have to decide what is what is my goal for social media. The first thing you have to do is protect your image. I mean, so many people are putting stupid pictures, you know, these kids who put pictures of them drinking and so forth, and that's going to be out there pretty much forever. So you want to really, you know, protect your image. Decide what image do you want out there. I mean, one of my friends, well, Janet Schweitzer, who's the co-author of my book, in addition to being a uh, entrepreneurial consultant, she consults with small business people. Uh, she wrote a book called Instant Income, and uh, for small business owners, how to get more cash out of your business quickly. And she wants to maintain that image in social media. Now she is also a world-class flower designer. She wins state competitions. She's just qualified to be a judge at the national level in, in flower designing contests. You know where people make flower arrangements. And she doesn't have anything on the internet about that. She'll probably get mad at me for even saying this today. But she wants the image of her as a solid business person, and so she protects that image very carefully. She has a brand that she wants to maintain. So basically, you have to decide, what do I want people to think about me out in that world? And then you want your YouTube videos, you want your Facebook posts, your tweets, your LinkedIn page, all of those things to build and develop that. You know, if you're going to blog in the blogosphere, it should be around certain themes so that people go, oh, you know, because if you're all things to all people, you're pretty much nobody to, no, to anybody. So, you know, for me, for years, I was the self-esteem expert because I worked in schools. Then I became the self-esteem and peak performance expert because I was working in the corporations. Then it was the chicken soup guy. And now it's America's number one success coach. So everything I do is designed to support that that image. I might have political points of view that I believe, but how is that going to help me for my business if I put that online? The second thing you have to look at is don't become what we call a victim of the technological revolution. You really need to manage your email. You need to manage, uh, you know, how much internet, how much time you spend on the internet every day. I mean, literally, you can get up in the morning at six o'clock. We just teach people: do not go to your emails immediately. Whatever your breakthrough goal is, whether it's health or financial or your book published or whatever, spend the first couple of hours in the morning doing that. Make sure you're focused on getting your main goals accomplished. Then go to your emails. You can have um, standardized answers. You can have, uh, you know, Tim Ferriss, who wrote the 4-Hour Workweek, 
has a lot in his revised edition about the media. He talks about going on a, on a media diet. Uh, but one of the things that, uh, that, that he taught me was that you want to make sure that you have uh, frequently asked questions on your website, on your Facebook page, so you're not answering the same question over and over and over and over. Uh, when he wrote the 4-Hour Workweek, he was running a company making him about 65000 a month on four hours a week, and literally working four hours a week. Now, he's actually working more now since he wrote the book because he's got more ventures he's involved with. The last thing about social media and, and the Internet is there's so many things you can now leverage through the Internet. For example, crowdfunding. You can go to uh, you funded and where you can post uh, your project you're trying to raise money for, and uh, you can get you can raise capital. A friend of mine just got cancer, has about two hundred thousand dollars in medical bills. She went to a uh, funded site and she put up a post, and now she's uh, raised over fifteen thousand dollars from her friends and their friends uh, that way. Crowdsourcing, you know, a chicken soup for the soul book. Now we could literally crowdsource that online. Just have people submit stories to a website or to, uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's latest book, uh, he did where he put a chapter up every day and have over 2,000 people critique the chapter, give him suggestions for the chapter, uh, stories illustrating the chapter. So his book was crowdsourced. Much easier to do today than it was, you know, 15 years ago. Wow, cool. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, I I noticed when you are speaking that you um, talk a lot about what you've learned from other people. And I think I just wanted to let you know I think that is so neat for um, someone as successful as you to be talking about what you learned from other people. Well, you know, basically, uh, my my mentor was a man named W. Clement Stone when I was in my twenties, and he said there's two two roads to success: other people's money and other people's experiences. So why should you have to relearn things that people have already learned? And you never want to invest your own money when you can invest other people's money. So those two things have been extremely valuable in building my businesses and my life. You know, there's no way any one person can know everything. I've read 3,000 books on success and self-development and spirituality and health. I've attended hundreds of seminars. You know, I, I, I love it. It's To me, yeah. learning something new and then sharing it with my students is the thing that keeps me motivated. And I, I apply it in my own life. If it works, I teach it to others. And and I get all these great stories back about how people's lives have changed. So that to me is exciting. I don't I don't ever want to think I know everything. How can, can how you can you like life? form a I'm sorry, how can you form a network of mentors to to help you uh and get this kind of wisdom that you're talking about? Well, there's there's several ways. Number one, you go and you ask people will they mentor you and the key and I write about this in the book called uh there's a chapter called Find a Wing to Climb Under. And basically uh, if you would go to someone, look, if I came to you and said, uh, you know, Walter, I really wanted to grow up and do what you do, and I think you're one of the best in the world at doing it, would you be willing to give me 10 minutes a month where I could ask you a couple questions? And you think, 10 minutes, no problem. And so basically, you know, we agree on a time, you know, Thursday at 10, 12 or whatever. I call you up. I get off the phone in 10 minutes. Now, over time, what I've found is that as the mentor and the mentee get to know each other, the mentor starts saying, well, you know, do you have any other questions? Do you want to come you know, have lunch with me? Do you want to come shadow me for a day? I mean, I had a, a, I wanted to learn more about politics at one time, and there was this one congressman in the state of California, and I said, can I just shadow you for a day? I just walk behind you and sit in your office, listen to you talk on the phone, watch how you interact with people when you go into the assembly, and he said, Absolutely. And so I learned I learned a lot. 
And, uh, you know, people love to share what they know if they have the time. And sometimes they don't. Mostly they do. And so uh, basically it's called asking. Most people are afraid to ask because they think the person's going to say no. You know, I'm unworthy. Why would they want to tell me? But people like, especially people that are motivated. I love when the 20-year-olds come to me and say, you know, this is the profession I want to be in. There's a guy named Jake Ducey just wrote a book called The uh, Purpose Principles. And he came to me and said, I I love your book. I, I want to do what you do. And so I said, well, come up to my house. He actually came to my birthday party, hung out with John Gray and, you know, uh, Jeff Bridges, the actor, was there. And he had a great time. And uh, I just saw in him who I was when I was 20. I wanted to support that. So, you know, you'll get a lot of no's. only need one yes. So go out and ask. Yeah, we were talking about that while we were waiting for you because that's one of my favorite things. And I, I've got, kind of got that in my book, too, um, to, to ask. And you never know sometimes what's going to happen. But ask and keep going. And even if somebody says no, go a different route. Or, you know, if there's something that you really, really, really want to do and achieve to get there, there's a, there's probably, like we were talking earlier, a lot of rejection. But Absolutely. if you don't ask, you never have Absolutely. a clue. No, it's true. I mean, we talked about, uh, you know, chicken soup for the soul rejected by 144 publishers. And if I'd given up after 100, you and I would not be on the phone today. And the reality is, you know, when I funded my first business, which was a retreat center, I went to the bank. I went to the bank and had a proposal. They didn't do it. I said, what would need to be in there? And it's not in there. They told me. I went to another bank, put that in there. After 22 banks and 22 people telling me what I needed to do to make it better, a bank said yes. I got $20,000 and started my first business, which then grew into a multi-million dollar enterprise. So you're going to get a lot of those. As I said, you only need one yes. And, and I do an exercise in my live trainings. We do these live trainings twice a year for a week called Breakthrough to Success. People can find out about it on my website, jackcanfield.com. And what happens is there's an exercise called the nine no's exercise where I get people up and you think of three things you want in your life that you could ask for. You know, will you babysit my child? Will I, um, you know, do my book? Would you give me $10,000 to start a company? Whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what happens is the instructions are as you mill around and asking about 300 people in the seminar, you're going to count how many no's you give away. So on the 10th person that asks you something, you're going to say yes. And then the 11th, 12th, up to 19th, you say no. 20th person asks you something, you say yes. So I let this go on for about 15 minutes. Everybody gets a yes before the end of the game. And they might have had to ask, you know, 100 people before they do it. But they all learn. If I ask enough, I get a yes. And so it becomes an embodied principle rather than just a good idea. How much of that is sticking true to your vision? I know in my life, especially with quitting my job in the financial services industry and just, you know, sort of almost kind of on a whim, starting Best Ever You from nothing, um, I've had a lot of people say, go get a real job. What are you doing? You're not qualified to do that. You're not, the, you know, a lot of you're not. And I've had to sit and go, I am, and I'm going to. And, you know, not in a mean way or anything, or probably not in that voice even, but, you know, how do you how do you deal with the naysayers? Um, they're there. Or the well, people who do say no. You know, you just have to realize that that's going to happen. Just like if you go to okay. Hawaii for more than three weeks, it's probably going to rain for a few of those days. It's just the way it is. <laughs> if you, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. If you live in Maine, you're going to get snow. You know, so that's just reality. So the thing is, you have to just give yourself permission to know that a lot of people are going to say no. So when you read inspirational stories, like uh, 
Colonel Sanders got a thousand and one rejections before someone said, yes, we'll take this chicken recipe and turn it into a company. Um, you know, there's so many people that have just, you know, gotten no, 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 no. I mean, Clint Eastwood was told in his first screen test, your Adam's apple's too big. You're never going to be able to be a movie star. Uh, Fred Astaire, in his first screen test, they said, can't act, dances a little. And he went on to be one of the great film stars of, you know, of that era of his time. Uh, the Beatles were rejected about the first 21 labels they tried to get to record a record. So rejection is part of it. It's, it's the universe testing you. How committed are you? So I love uh, Barbara Kingsolver. I have a quote of hers in one of my books where she, she's an author I met at a writer's conference. She says that uh, when your manuscript comes back rejected, it doesn't mean it's no good. It means the person who will love your manuscript doesn't live at this address. So you just keep sending <laughs> like it out. You know. Right. Exactly. You know, right. So, yeah. I mean, you have that experience. You can talk to anybody. It doesn't matter who. They're going to tell you they had to get a lot of rejections along the way. Unfortunately, we don't teach this in school. You know, everybody thinks if they don't get a yes in the first five minutes, they should quit. It's too uncomfortable. But it's just part of the process. It's like if you go to a Lamaze class or a Bradley class for birthing, you realize it's going to be difficult. And there's a place where you're going to go through transition. It's going to be painful. They teach you how to breathe through that. They know you're going to get to the other side. So when you finally have a baby, you know what to expect. Unfortunately, we don't teach kids or adults what to expect along this path called success. That's why I wrote the success principles, was to give people a roadmap for where the holes are and what you need to do in order to become successful along the way. What do you mean by by success leaves clues? That, that I'm curious about. Well, that's a phrase I originally learned from Tony Robbins, and he said success leaves clues. And what he meant by that, and what I mean by that, is that anyone who's been successful have left some clues behind about how they did it. So, one, you can go to a mentor and say, what did you do? You can read a book like my book or your books, and you've, you've given people clues about how to be successful. People put together franchise manuals. There's books you can buy on how to be a weekend real estate investor. There's books on how to lose weight. People that have conquered breast cancer often write books. Here's how I conquered breast cancer. So and doctors are out there who've done it, so they've, they've got all the clues. So the basic idea is, and what Tony was talking about in the beginning was, let's say there's a company, you go out east and you find somebody's renting you know, skateboards, and there's nobody on the West Coast doing that. Well, you can start a business on the West Coast running skateboards because you've seen it happening on the East Coast. And if you watch the guy or you go work for him for a week, you want to be in the restaurant business, go work in a restaurant for a couple months before you venture in, uh, you then know how to do it. So whether it's through a book, an audio program, a seminar, uh, you know, downloading a TED Talk or a you know, YouTube video, uh, there's so much information on how to do things out there right now that basically uh, – Anything's possible if you just go learn it. You have a new 10th anniversary edition of your book, The Success Principles, out. Um, what's different about it? Well, a lot. Uh, first of all, there's 100 new pages. And uh, we, wrote, we did a whole chapter on leadership because we believe everyone should become a leader in some way in their community or their family or their business. We have a whole chapter on um, Success, well, three chapters in one section called Success in the Digital Age. We talked about that a little bit. And there's a chapter on networking. Ivan Meisner, who runs Business Network International, which is a, a networking organization, got 6,500 chapters around the world. He's probably worth a couple hundred million dollars having created that over his life. And he uh, wrote again? a chapter. 
Ivan Meisner, M-I-S-N-E-R. You should have him on your, your show sometime. Uh, he yeah, writes a lot of books. Yeah, just check him out on uh, Amazon.com, or you, I can send you his email contacts. He loves to do this kind of thing. And uh, he wrote a chapter on the idea that networking, you have to go from visibility to credibility to profitability. So let's say you go to a networking meeting. Most people start just handing out cards and saying, do you know anyone who might need my services? Well, you haven't even established relationship yet. So first of all, you want to go to a networking meeting, and, or even if you're just networking anywhere, and say, hi, what are you doing? How can I help you achieve that goal? And then find some article, something you could do for them, introduce them to somebody, make a referral for them, send them an article, whatever. Then you've now established visibility and credibility, that you're a credible person. You follow through on your commitments. You've made a commitment to them, and you've followed through. Now you can begin to talk about business. And most people do that prematurely, and they ruin any chance of having any kind of a successful relationship. And he also talks about, you know, if you go to a networking meeting and you and I are standing talking to each other, there's no room if we're face-to-face for anyone to come in. So he talks about always standing in what he calls an open three. So we would stand at a 45-degree angle so a third person could come in because you want to meet as many people as possible, make people feel comfortable. Most people go to a network meeting and they they stand around waiting for someone to come up and talk to them. What Ivan teaches is when you when you go to a network meeting, pretend it's your party and you're throwing it. So just stand by the door and as people come in, say, welcome. Uh, t- tell me about yourself. Why did you come here tonight? So you act like the host instead of a guest. You totally change the dynamic. You, you're much more comfortable. You're just asking questions. People love to be asked about themselves. And in the process, you create relationships. So it's a really powerful chapter on how to how to create business relationships. And then the other thing we did, that's the, the most exciting part for me, is in the first book, all the principles and strategies were illustrated by famous people who'd done them. You know, try to prove to you that this works because these are what successful people do. But now all this, the uh, stories are by people who read the first book and applied the principles, and it worked for them. And now they're millionaires. They've overcome cancer. They've overcome post-traumatic stress uh, disorder from Iraq. They've got out of their depression. We have stories about people with traumatic brain injuries that are now motivational speakers, people that were homeless, who are now you know, successful business people, people that, uh, you know, an athlete who became an Olympic athlete and won a bronze medal in China using visualization and affirmation, a housewife who wrote a children's book and got a Guinness Book World Record for having 100,000 kids be read that book all in the same moment on the same day all across America using the principles she learned in the book. So for me, the reason I'm so excited about this book is I know that for you know hundreds of thousands of people, it radically transformed their lives. And now we can say, look, you don't have to be a special person like John Gray. You can be anybody, and these principles will work for you. So I'm just uh, you know over the moon about this new book. Yeah, it's a great book. I notice we are running um, into your time. I uh, I'm, do you have five minutes to just finish up the show? So we, or do you have to? Does everybody have to go like immediately? Because we're a little bit over. Yeah, I actually do have to go. Unfortunately, you have to go. Okay, and I know I know Dr. Walter does too. So let me just wrap up and just thank you for being on the show. I I really really appreciate it so much. Thank you for being here. Um, well, 
My pleasure. Let me say one thing, Beth, just so if, if people want to get the book, obviously they can go to Amazon.com or their local bookstore. But if you want to get $100 of free bonuses, a, a video from me on goal setting, an audio where I answer the most commonly asked questions about applying the concepts, a daily disciplines of success poster, the first two chapters of the book you can download before you even get the book. And my partner has this instant income business planner that she wrote for business owners. Go to thesuccessprinciplesbook.com. That's thesuccessprinciplesbook.com, and you'll get all of that as well as the book. Yeah, I also love your Facebook page, um, Thank you. which is facebook.com slash Jack Canfield fan. And what I really wanted to ask you that we didn't have time for, so maybe maybe at some point you could answer this for me. I would love to hear about sports and the Ohio State football team and their E plus R equals O. Um, and well, what's exciting about that? I, I didn't even that. know about that. I didn't even know about that till last week when someone sent me an article that the Ohio State football team was using it. The best I could tell you is I think the coach must have read the book and talked uh-huh. to the players. And, uh, you know, we, I find out about those kind of things all the time, whether it's some coach or the University of Massachusetts uh, band, which always wins the national band contest. He has all the students read the book. So, uh, anyway, I'm going to call him and interview him yeah. myself, the coach of Ohio State, and find out what's going on. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Um, me too. Yeah, oh, I just, uh, anyway, yeah, I I thought that was so neat, and I love leadership like that and teaching young people values and principles and success and just, you know, all those things to help, you know, that guy, he, he just stepped in there and won, and the whole team just, they it's a totally new level. I just thought that was neat, but anyway, I'll be quiet. Thank no, you. No, it's great. Thank you very much. I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> appreciate the enthusiasm. Good. Yeah. Um, Dr. Walter, are you still with us? I am. I just thanks, Jack. Uh, you're you're beautiful. You're brilliant. Thanks so much for taking the oh. time here today. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you Take so care. much. Yeah. All right. You too. Um, okay. Dr. Walter, stay with me for a minute here. I just want to okay. make sure we go through Jack's social media. He's Jack Canfield on Twitter. Um, you can go to thesuccessprinciples.com or you can go to jackcanfield.com. And some of the things that we didn't get to chat about for time. Um, did you know he holds the Guinness World Record for having seven books on the New York Times bestseller list on the same day? And he also holds the Guinness World Record for the largest book signing ever for Chicken Soup for the Kid's Soul. I just thought that was neat, and, I, and we didn't get a chance to... Um, uh, it's so unbelievable. The, the, he has broken all sorts of records uh, with, uh, you know, with some you know, tried-and-true techniques and uh, I really want to encourage people to go to his the successprinciples.com. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of free stuff there to help you transform your life and and get on this uh, on a path of success. So it's yeah. really and good to take advantage of that. Yeah, and he's got a foundation. Yeah, the foundation for self-esteem provides self-esteem resources and trainings to social to social workers, welfare recipients and human resource professionals. It's almost probably I I wonder if this is current. Um, probably a million people now, I'm sure, but um, it says 810,000, and I bet it's it's grown even since we've been on the phone. But to contact <laughs> him, you can call him or to call him at 800-237-8336 if you're not a website person. Um, internationally, you can call him at 1-805-563-2935. And the address for the Canfield Training Group is P.O. Box 30880, Santa Barbara, California, 930. One three zero. So we thank you. Thank you, Dr. Walter, for your time today. Appreciate you, you being here. Putting up with the the snow jokes. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right well, everybody. Great, great show. Thanks a lot, Liz. All right. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Right, Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? 
Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.